0: Amen. Grateful for our worship team. Thank you, Lindsay, for leading us and the team this morning. Good morning, Fellowship. Great to be with you. Happy Labor Day weekend. Just was talking to somebody. Who knows what that actually really means? You know, it's kind of mostly lost on us. I'm sure someone out there right now wants to tell me, actually, Labor Day is all about the blah, 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 but I'm glad that we have a weekend with a day off and it's good to be here and it's good to worship with you this morning. So thank you for being here. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. If you're new to fellowship, I know Lindsay's already welcomed you. Let me welcome you as well. My name is Rob Sweet and along with Lloyd Shadrach, Lloyd and I do most of the teaching here. And if you're visiting, I encourage you to visit enough weeks that you kind of get a feel for how the rhythm works. Um, We have two campuses here at our Franklin campus, our Brentwood and Franklin. We do live teaching at each. So what that means is while I'm here, Lloyd is typically at Franklin and vice versa. We're in the same series together. We're one church in two locations. And one of the privileges of the way that that works is Lloyd and I both get two weeks to study a text before we have to write that next sermon. So we write one message and we get to teach it two weeks in a row. So I've had the last two weeks just to be able to enjoy, learn from. Um, derive life from the passage that we are studying this morning, and it is a wonderful text and you don 't necessarily know it, but you 've already been in the text this morning through the music, through the lyrics that we 've been singing and what we 're just sung over you we 're in John chapter fifteen so If you haven't already, open your Bibles, open them to John chapter 15. This is the vine and the branch text. It has to be one of the most powerful images in all the scripture. There are just a couple images that people tend to remember. There's the Psalm 23, you know, the the shepherd, and, you know, they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's all that. There's John 15, the vine and the branches. There are a few others as well, but this is certainly one that is enduring. Now, let me catch you up to the context where we get this image of the vine and the branch. It takes place in this very intimate conversation Jesus had with his followers the night that he's arrested. He knows he's about to be crucified. He knows that they're going to go through an awful ordeal. I mean, he's going to have it worse, obviously, but the disciples themselves are going to go through an awful ordeal as well. And so the beginning of chapter 14, which is still fairly early in the conversation, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. And they must be thinking, easy for you to say. Like, how, you, you're telling us you're going to leave. You're telling us all these bad things are going to happen. How are our hearts not going to be troubled? And then the rest of chapter 14 explains the secret to that. How do we live with untroubled hearts in a troubled world? The power of the Holy Spirit, who is described in the back part of chapter 14 as the helper, Lloyd did a great job last week of explaining some of the theology of the Spirit from that text. If you missed it, I can't encourage you enough to go back and watch it. This is an important doctrine in theology. It's going to continue this morning as Jesus says, abide in the vine, lean in the vine, depend on the vine. How do we do that? It must be through the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. So we get to chapter 15 and you kind of have this continuation of, you're going to have a helper. You're going to have a life source, the spirit of Christ. Me, Jesus is saying, I'm going to dwell with you through my spirit. And then he gives us this incredible, beautiful analogy. And, And here's where this is going. It's no less than this. Because the promises of God dwelling in us because of that promise, radical new possibilities are opened up for your life. Radical new possibilities are opened up for your life. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. That's what John 15 is all about. So here's what I'm going to do. I've got 17 verses to cover. Now, I had two choices. I could either just sort of do like all 17 with just a a little bit of depth, or I could dig deep into the, the central analogy, which is the vine and the branch analogy. That's what I've chosen to do. So I'm going to read all 17 verses. We'll touch on them here and there but we're really gonna focus our time this morning on the central image, the central analogy, because I think that's what makes this chapter so important. So you can follow along, it'll be on the screen if you have your Bible open, which I encourage you to always bring your text or bring your John book if you still have that. Just follow along as I read the whole passage this morning and then we'll go back and talk specifically about this vine and branch image. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. So much here could obviously be a whole series. And as I mentioned, we're going to focus primarily on this image, this picture. And here's why, if you really think about it, this image, I believe, is sort of a distillation of the whole Christian life. If you understand what Jesus is trying to say with the vine and the branches and the vine dresser and all these kinds of things. This, by the way, is a little bit of foreign for us. You know, we don't live in an agricultural society, at least in our area of the world so much. So you have to sort of understand the image. But if you can get it, if you can understand what Jesus is saying, honestly, the rest of the Christian life starts to make a lot more sense. And will both get easier and more difficult. Easier and more difficult. We'll talk about that. All right, so let's understand this image. The first thing we have to know is there are three personifications or, or three people, three, three things uh, described in this analogy. There's the vine, the vine dresser, who I, I think I'm going to call the gardener because vine dresser is a little bit of a weird word, old word. But there's the vine, there's the, the, the gardener or the vine dresser, and there are the branches, Let's put verses one to five on our screen because I want to show you Jesus makes it really clear who each of them is. This is not like a parable that's like, who is he talking about with the vine? Who is he talking about with the vine dresser? We know. All right. If we get verse one to five on the screen, thank you. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. So it's very clear the vine is Jesus. He's the one speaking. That's clear. He also makes it clear who the vine dresser is. The vine dresser or gardener is God the Father. And then there's one more kind of character or, or in, important personification in this analogy, and that's the branches. And who are the branches? Well, we know who he's speaking to. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you are the branches. But don't just think of the original disciples here. Don't just think of the, the 12. And, and actually it was 11 at this point because Judas had just left. Don't just think of the 11. Think about everyone who's made a decision to follow Jesus. Everyone who's, you know, Jesus has called to follow him. That includes you and me, most most of us in the room. I hope almost all of us in the room, he'd say, yeah, we're disciples of Jesus. He's talking about us as well. So we're in this picture. We're the branches. So you have a vine, you have the gardener, you have the branches. Those are the three images. Now, here's the very first thing to notice, and this is a really big deal. It's important to understand this whole analogy. The three roles are all focused on the same goal. The vine, the vine dresser, the branches, they're all focused on the same goal. What's the goal? Just shout it out. It's gonna be the first thing that comes to you probably. What's the goal? Bear fruit. Bear fruit. That's it. The goal is fruit. Now notice how many times the word fruit is showing up. One, two, three, and then down here, it's more. Here, two more times, fruit, and then one more, fruit. Five times fruit. Shows up. It just keeps showing up in the passage. Fruit, 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 fruit. By the way, fruit's one of those words where if you stare at it long enough, it starts looking weird. That's happened to me. I was writing this sermon. Fruit? Fruit? Fruit. Fruit. (laughs) You know how that happens? Maybe that only happens to me. But (laughs) fruit's a big deal. He keeps saying, this is the goal. It's like, we're all three working together. The the, the, the me, the vine, the, the father, who's the gardener. And you, the branches, let's all focus on the same goal. It's all about fruit. So why is bearing fruit such a big deal? Well, to answer that question, you have to first answer this question. What kind of fruit are we talking about? What's the fruit that Jesus is talking about in this analogy? What does the fruit represent? When Scripture talks about fruit in a context like this, it's referring to God's work in the world through people. God's work in the world through people. How do you think God primarily gets things done? Well, you know, it's through his word, and and he does miracles from time to time, and certainly he uses nature and other things. But primarily the work of God in the world has always been through the people of God, doing the work of God. And this is what scripture refers to as the fruit. Now, by the way, I want you to notice a progression in the text. It starts with just talking about fruit, In the first two instances, then he goes to more fruit and it finally ends up much fruit. Do you see this progression of a little bit of fruit, even more fruit, even greater fruit? There's this greater and greater fruitfulness. So we're talking about people doing the work of God in the world. That's pretty significant. Now, the other place your mind might go when you hear about bearing fruit is Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. And you're familiar with this, even if you don't know that you are. Galatians 5 describes the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. When those things show up in the world, they're transformative. Do you know how they show up in the world? Do you know how love, joy, peace, patience shows up in the world? through people who've been genuinely transformed by Jesus Christ and they start living like Jesus Christ because those nine fruits of the Spirit describe Jesus. You know, Jesus is the only one who came out of the womb just with love, you know, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, all the rest of us. The life of Christ has to get inside of us in order for us to really start bearing this fruit. So when when the fruit of the Spirit is the spirit of Christ, starts showing up in the world through people, darkness is pushed back. Things are healed. Things are restored. The work of God is being done in the world through people. That's the kind of fruit that we're talking about here. So think about this another way. Ultimately, the fruit Jesus is speaking of is his life multiplied in the world. The life of Jesus multiplied in the world. And think about all that Jesus did. You know, all the healings that he did, all the miracles that he did, all the amazing teaching that he did. And then he says, listen, you're going to do those works too. You're going to do even greater works. Remember that text from a week or two ago. So this is the idea. How are we going to do the works? Through the fruit of Christ by his spirit becoming true of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those kinds of things. So our goal is to bear fruit, not just our goal. Jesus' goal, who's the vine, is to bear fruit, not just Jesus. The Father's goal, who's the gardener, is for us to bear fruit. Fruit is the goal of all three of the individuals in this analogy. Now, look at verse eight for a minute. Let me show you how it's the Father's goal that we bear fruit. Verse eight, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Do you want to glorify God? You know? Do you want to know how to glorify God? We glorify God when the life and character of Jesus shows up in the world through us. That's how we glorify God. When the life and character of Jesus shows up in the world through you, you glorify God in that. And not only does that glorify God, It's exactly what the world needs. What does the world need? What is this dark place, this confusing place we're living in, this this difficult place we're living in, what does it really need? It needs the life of Jesus showing up in the dark and hopeless places. It's exactly what the world needs. Now, the world even knows it needs this. It just doesn't attribute it to Jesus. The world will say, you know what we need more of? Love. Love. If everybody would just start loving each other or the world will say, you know what we need more of around here? Peace, you know? Just stop all the wars. Just give peace a chance. If the world will say, you know what we need more of? It's joy, you know? Buy these products, you know? You start using this technology and you, your life's gonna really start. You're gonna have this, all this joy in your life. That type of fruit only comes from the one who was whole, who was born with that type of character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, comes from Christ. It enters the world through you and me, bearing the fruit of Jesus. Now, here's where I'm going. I kind of want to summarize this. It's the Father's goal that we bear fruit. It's Jesus's goal we bear fruit. It's exactly what the world needs. Not only that, it's exactly what will bring you and me fullness of joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. When Jesus says, I want you to bear fruit, he's not inviting you into some kind of drudgery work. He's not saying, now's the time that you get serious, and you get busy, and you leave all the fun things in life behind. Oh, no. Oh no. When he invites you into this, he's inviting you into life that is true life. He's inviting you to experience a level of joy that's impossible to experience anywhere else because it's God's joy. It's his joy. It's the joy of Christ. Don't you want to experience that kind of joy? This is what makes life full and beautiful. It's what we were made for. Every time I go to a funeral, every time I participate in a funeral. I officiate a funeral. I'm always listening. What's said about the person? Isn't it interesting? Now, you know it's going to be nice things, but I'll tell you what, the funerals that are the most joyful, is when one way or another, the people that are sharing about the, the person who's deceased start talking about the character of Christ that showed up in the world through him, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness. Those are the things that matter. That's fullness of joy in life, fullness of joy for, for, for those who will remember us, fullness of joy. Don't you want to experience that kind of joy? That's the opportunity. So here we go. Put all this together before we move on to the next point. The kind of fruit being described here is the life of Jesus multiplied on earth in and through us. And here's what's at stake in that. The glory of God the flourishing of the world and yours and my fullness of joy. Other than that, it's no big deal. <laughs> so this is why in our, our vision statement, we have a fellowship, which, which is kind of new, you know, and you, know, we, you never want these things to be too corporate. But on the other hand, it's helpful to have succinct statements that just sort of represent what we're hoping for for the future. And, and here's the one that we landed on. Hopefully you've heard it before. You'll hear it again right now. We long to see Jesus transform thousands of hearts through the people of fellowship. Jesus transformed thousands of hearts through the people of fellowship. Can you connect that to John chapter 15, that we would bear fruit? Are we gonna transform lives? No way, no how. I cannot transform a single life, believe me. But what's gonna happen as our lives are transformed, (laughs) Jesus will use those to bear fruit. And through us, believe it or not, lives will be transformed. Jesus doing the work through the branches. This is how this analogy plays out. Okay, so that's just point number one. Point number one is all three of the the, the people or or the, the personifications in this image are all going toward the same goal and fruit. It's fruit and fruit's a really big deal. It's a huge deal. Let's go to point number two. Point number two is I want you to notice that although the vine... The gardener and the branches are focused on the same goal. They each have a different role. They each have a different part to play. They each have a different job that they're responsible for. And so I want to spend the rest of the message really on point two. I want to walk through each of the three. We'll start with the vine and then we'll go to the gardener and then we'll go to the branches and we'll talk about what's the job the vine has to do. What's the job the gardener has to do? What's the job the branches have to do? And this is where I think this is going to come alive for us. All right, let's start with the vine. Jesus says, verse one, also verse five, I am the vine. Jesus is the vine. What's his role? What's his job? Well, Let's actually, let's actually review the seven I am statements in the book of John because this is the final one. We've gone through these seven. If you've been tracking with us through this series, this is familiar to you. If you're new to this series, these are seven things in John's gospel that Jesus says that starts with the words, I am, which in Hebrew is the proper name of God. It's like, I'm Rob and you're, you know, Susan or Kate or whatever your name is. God himself revealed his name as I am who I am. So Jesus takes the proper name of God and he's saying, that's me. I'm God in the flesh. And here's one thing that means for you that I've come to earth. You've got bread and I'm your bread. You know, you've got light and I'm your light. You've got a door open to you. You've got a shepherd. You know, there's resurrection in the future. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he gets to this one, I am the true vine. And you think, those other ones are amazing and explosive. Life and light and a door and a shepherd. and I don't know that I need a vine. <laughs> Is he ending sort of um, anticlimactically? Oh, no. Oh, no. Let's explore what this means for Jesus to say, I am the vine. And so to make this as real and tangible for us as I can, we've got an illustration this morning. Thank you, Joe. Joe has, um, Joe has grown a vine, so to say. Okay, it's not actually real, so it wasn't grown, but you'll, you'll, you'll get the idea. Here's a vine. Now, I, I don't know a lot about vineyards and planting. I did a little research this week. I'm not a big gardener kind of person. But I will say, as I read about this, this analogy came to life for me. So let me teach you all a few things. Some of you are gonna know much more about these things than I do. But, but I wanna talk first about, about the vine. Because when you look at this, you see a lot of things. You see leaves, you see branches, you see grapes. But I hope you can see the vine. This is the vine. It starts right here and kind of comes up and goes all the way through. Now, the vine is so essential to this whole thing that, that someone was an expert in this, that they would just call this, a vine. so there's a grape vine. That's what this is. It's a vine. Well, I, I, it looks like a bush to me. No, no. It's a vine. Now, why is the vine so important? The vine is the only part of this whole thing that's connected to the ground, that's connected to the earth. So the, what the vine does, the vine's job, is it takes all the nutrients, you know, all the, the, the rich soil. Uh, it takes the, the liquid, the, the moisture that's in the soil, and it takes it up. It grabs onto it. Does it keep it, so to speak? No. It, it spreads it out. It flows through the vine, and that's what enables there to be branches and leaves and ultimately fruit, ultimately grapes. You see, what's, what's going on here is so important. In a sense, the vine is everything. You could cut off all the branches. You could cut off the grapes. You could cut off all the leaves and, and just be left with a vine, and guess what? it would all grow back. It would all grow back and it would produce fruit again. But if you sever the vine, it all dies. The vine does the real work of the whole organism. It's a continuous flow of energy and life that allows all the other parts of the plant to exist. Now, relate this to Jesus. Jesus is the only person who ever lived who is directly plugged into the life source of God himself. Jesus, if you think about it this way, is plugged into the Trinity. He's a member of the Trinity. He's planted in the Trinity, if you can kind of go with this analogy, so to speak. So the life and energy of God himself flows through Jesus and gives life to the world. (laughs) Starts to make sense when Jesus says, I'm the life, I'm the light, I'm all these things. Why? He's, He's what's plugged into God himself and he's making God show up in the world, so to speak. Jesus makes God visible. That's that's one of the points in John chapter one. But even more than that, he makes it possible for other humans to have a relationship with God. All we need is to be connected to him, connected to the vine, grafted into the vine, and then we come to life, you see. we, We start bearing fruit. We start coming to life. So that's the vine. We start with the vine. It's the most important thing here. Jesus is the true vine, he says, for the whole world. In a a very real sense, he's the reason that life exists in this world. He's he's plugged into the Trinity, and through him, the life and the energy of God itself has been made known on the earth and is spreading, is spreading around. The vine is everything. The vine is essentially the whole plant. But as the analogy goes, it's God's pleasure and plan— for Jesus to produce the fruit, but not alone. It's God's pleasure and plan for Jesus to produce the fruit alongside the Father, who's the gardener, and the branches, who are us, the followers, the disciples. So we we get in on this. So let's talk about the next two roles. We'll we'll start with the gardener, the vine dresser, and then we'll go to us. Now, let me put on the screen verses 1 and 2 because we see the role of the Vine dresser, very clearly a gardener in verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the father does two things in this analogy. He takes away branches that are not bearing fruit and he prunes the ones that are. The gardener has a very critical role, but it's not an easy role. Not easy for him in a sense. It's certainly not easy for us. The first thing the gardener does is he takes away the branches that are not bearing fruit. He removes them from the vine. All right, so let me interact with this a little bit. If you were up here where I am and you looked really closely, you're like, you know, there's some leaves on here that aren't as green as the others. And if you look closely and you start pulling back, you're saying, I don't see any fruit on this branch at all. Now I see why the leaves are turning brown. It's not connected to the vine. So I'm going to take that off. I'm going to toss it over there for now. And I I see some more leaves that are kind of turning brown over here. Ah, interesting. Here is another branch that was not connected to the vine. I'm going to set that aside. Now all the rest looks good and it's all bearing fruit. You see, this is what the image is teaching us. Why would the gardener remove branches that honestly look good? Mostly, mostly look good. Because although they might blend in and look like they're part of the flourishing plant, they're actually dead. What does it mean for a branch to be dead? It means it's no longer getting the life source from the vine. It's it's no longer feeding. It's essentially dead. And so that's basically true about these branches. They've become weeds, so to speak. And what do weeds do? They just They just block the light. You know, they just take up energy that needs to go to what's still alive, you see. So hopefully your question goes to, who in the world is Jesus talking about? Because I don't want to be one of these ones. I don't think I'm one of these ones. It's just talking about me. It's just talking about other people. I don't think we can skirt around this. This is sobering, and I want to explain it as as best as I can and, and let the Spirit do His work in this text. I think what Jesus is clearly talking about here is he's talking about people who look like they're part of him. They look like they're part of the vine, that look like they're connected to him. But when you really examine their lives, there is no fruit. There's there's actually no life of Jesus in them. Why would there be no fruit? Only because they're not connected to the vine. Not really. They just look like they're connected to the vine. They're kind of just draped in there, so to speak. What Jesus seems to be saying, y'all, and this is not a small thing, every person who professes to belong to me is not necessarily a true disciple, is not necessarily truly part of the vine. Now, for the disciples, they wouldn't have had to look very far to see a clear example of this. Judas had just stood up after Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all like, no one's going to betray you. We're all solid. And then one of their own, whom they did not expect, gets up from the table just just 10 minutes before. And he leaves the room to go betray Jesus. And they're like, what in the world is he doing? You see, they, they, they would not have had to look far to connect something to this analogy. Now, how about you and me? We don't, we don't identify with Judas. <laughs> you know, we just, we don't tend to. Here's the application for us. And I'm not gonna hold back on this because I, I wouldn't be doing justice to the scripture if I did. Within any church, there are a lot of people who seem to be attached to the vine, who think they're attached to the vine even, but don't actually have a, vital, life-giving relationship with Jesus. They might believe some things about Jesus. They, they, They might be religious, somewhat religious. Isn't it interesting? You can believe a lot of things about Jesus. You can believe a lot of true things about Jesus, and you can do a lot of religious things. That described Judas. Did a lot of good things, believed some things about Jesus, but they're not integrally vitally connected to the vine. How do you know if you are or not? Well, this is not easy, but this is what Jesus says. He says, is there fruit? Is there fruit? In other words, is the life of Jesus showing up through you in any way? And you might think, well, not fully. It doesn't have to be fully. We're going to get to that later, about. A little fruit can become more fruit, can become more fruit. But is there a little? Is there a little fruit in you? Is there, is there some way that you say, you know what? I'm not quite the same as I was. And, and, and I dare to even say, can people around you say, I see some of the character of Christ through him or through her. Love, joy, peace, patience. Is there some fruit? Now, here is the good news, okay? And, and by the way, the only person that can actually judge that is the vine dresser. is the gardener. Now, I want you to have assurance of salvation and we'll talk about how to know if you're connected to the vine, but I don't think we should take this lightly. But, but here's also the good news. If you're not sure that you're connected to the vine, you can be. You can be sure. You can get connected to the vine. And I'm gonna talk about that this morning before I'm done. But before I get there, I want to talk about the second thing that this gardener does. So the first thing is he takes away the branches that actually aren't in the vine. Not actually. The second thing he does, it says he prunes the ones that are bearing fruit. The ones that are connected, he's going to prune. Now, here's something that I learned that many of you that are good gardeners in the room, you already know this far better than I do. Left to themselves, the branches of a vine are going to go everywhere. You know, they're, they're going to spread out. They're going to go crazy. They're, they're going to start blocking out the sun from some of the other branches. They're going to just sort of like expand and expand. And so the the, the life of the vine, so to speak, the sap that's kind of flowing through is just going to continually just get get spread out. And, and, and it's going to not be as as important, not as critical, not as essential. It's not going to be less fruit bearing. And so what the gardener will do is he'll go through and he'll cut a lot of it down. He'll cut a lot of it back. And this is what you have to do. And I have to say from the perspective of the branches, this is a pretty terrible thing. (laughs) So I'm going to go about doing this. Now, I'm not going to do maybe maybe as much as, as I would if this were actually a real thing. You know, Joe worked hard to get this. And so I, I'm not going to completely destroy his creation, maybe, but I, but I do want to show you the point. So I, I'm cutting off some leaves here, the leaves that are that are like okay, this, they're part of branches that are bearing fruit, but I, but we've got to cut them back. What's actually going on here? Looks awful, you know, doesn't it? But it's actually bringing life to the vine. Ooh, I think I almost went too far on that one. Oh, oh, there's some fruit almost falling off. Put that back up there. Okay. <laughs> You get the idea, right? Now, if this was actually a real vine, by the time I'm done with this, oh my goodness, it would look bare. It would look naked. It would look terrible. It would look embarrassing. So I want you to picture someone walking by the vineyard right after the vine dresser has done this. And to the untrained eye, they would think this. What a mess. What a waste. Look at all those good green leaves on the ground. Those aren't dead. You see, those are alive. They were alive until he cut them. And if you looked at the vine, he would say, oh my goodness, the vine is, is now bare and bleeding. Here's what's true. In order for the branches to produce the most fruit, which remember is their purpose, the gardener has to hurt them, has to attack them, mercilessly in some way, mercilessly even in some way. But here's the thing, and this is what I want you to grab onto. A skilled gardener will only cut off what is necessary for the flourishing of the branch. No more than that. No less than that, but no more than that. Every piece he cuts off would have only made the branch worse off if it had remained. Do you know the biological reason why the gardener prunes the branches? To get the branches that remain, to lean into the vine more, to depend upon the vine more, to draw on the vine more than they ever have before. Do you see how God works? How many times have you seen a piece of your life laying on the ground and you've thought, why would God cut that away? It's green, it's life giving to me, it had so much promise. So much potential. No one likes to be pruned. It's not pleasant. It's painful. It, it, it can be very frightening. But if you're connected to the true vine, it's always purposeful. And remember, why is Jesus saying these things? Why is the Father doing these things? so that his joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. How will your joy be complete? By bearing fruit, not by looking pretty, not by having it easy. Bearing fruit. Your heavenly father is not just a skilled gardener. He's the original gardener. He's the perfect gardener. And here's what that means. He will never take off a single stem more than what is necessary for your ultimate fruitfulness and joy. And every piece he does take off would have only made you worse if it had remained. Do you believe that? That's not easy to believe. But it's one of the promises of being connected to the vine. You see how this starts to actually make sense of your life in some ways? Some of the hard places of your life... if you think about it this way, according to this analogy, you start to actually have hope in some places you might not have before. Now, all this takes us to the third part of this analogy, or the, the third personification in this analogy. We've talked about the vine. We've talked about the vine dresser, the gardener. And now let's talk about us, the followers of Jesus. Let's talk about the branches. What's our role in this? Well, I, I think you know, but let me reread. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus says. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's good news. Your job's not to bear fruit. That's not your job. You can't bear fruit. You can't transform anyone's life. You can't transform your own life. You can't love your wife or husband as Jesus loves your wife or husband. You can't be the kind of father or mother to your children or your grandparent to your grandchildren. You can't be the kind of friend that Jesus is. You you can't let light of Christ shine through. You can't do any of that on your own. You have one job and I have one job. Abide in the vine. Now what does that mean? Right? We, we, I can't close without answering this question. So this is where we're going to start to land the plane. What in the world does abide mean? It's an old word. You know, it's an English word connected to abode. You know, an abode is a place you live. That should give us a clue. Oh, abide means to to live somewhere, to dwell somewhere. Sometimes it's translated to remain or stay, but it, but it's in the context of like, I'm going to stay in that home. I'm going to dwell in that home. Now connect this to Jesus calling his disciples in John chapter one. We studied this passage a number of months ago. Uh, Jesus is coming, uh, he's seen by the disciples of John and two of the disciples of John the Baptist, two of the disciples of John the Baptist follow Jesus and they're walking behind him. This is John uh, one, verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That word, where are you staying? That verb is the exact same verb as abide is in John 15. Where are you dwelling? Where's your home? Jesus said to them, Come and you will see. And Jesus invites them to his home. So they came and they saw where he was staying. There's that same verb. And they stayed with him. Same verb. That day for it was about the 10th hour. Do you see how the pieces of John are starting to fit together? From the very first disciples, Jesus says, come and see where I'm dwelling. Now John 15 says, through the Holy Spirit, you can now dwell with me permanently. Where I am, you will also be. You see this cry for home. Jesus is saying, you can be there. You can start now. Dwell with me, abide in me, remain in me. That's your job. Stay close to Jesus. Make your home in Jesus. So that's our part in this. And and that's the invitation of Jesus. That's the secret, you all, if I can call it that, to real fruit being produced in your life. Make your home in Jesus. Remain there. Stay there. How do you do that? I think it starts with recognizing, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. I heard someone once say, that phrase is the hardest phrase in the Bible for me to believe. (laughs) And I was like, what? And I thought about it and I was like, me too. I think this is one of the hardest phrases in the Bible to believe apart from me. Rob, what do you mean I can do nothing? Nothing of eternal value. I'm a pretty good dad, even without Christ. I'm a pretty good husband. I'm I'm successful. I've got these things. You all apart from Christ. Those things are all self-oriented. Apart from Christ, those things are gonna burn. You see, there's, there's only one lasting fruit, is the life of Jesus being multiplied through you. How does that happen? You cannot manufacture it. You must depend on Him. And that takes us to this last idea, and that is it's total dependence. It's nothing less than total dependence can't depend on my own energy or effort. I'm gonna depend on Christ. You walk in a room, say, this is bigger than me. That's a good place to be. You walk into a family or a family situation. This is bigger than me. That's a good place to be. Your kids are driving you nuts. I'm way out of my league as a dad. Okay, this is getting a little bit too autobiographical for me right now. That's a good place to be if you'll say, I'm gonna dwell with Jesus. I'm gonna allow the life of Christ to flow through me. I'm gonna allow him to produce fruit through me because I cannot manufacture this. And that's not just a one-time thing. That's a constant thing. That's how we live out the Christian life. The invitation is to abide with Christ. I wanna encourage you now to take out your communion elements. If you did not pick up one of these I'm going to talk for just a couple minutes about this so you have time to go back and get it. This table is open to all who have put their trust in Christ this morning. You don't have to be a member of this church or a regular tender of this church. If you put your trust in Christ, this table is open to you. Now, I want to talk about those who haven't yet put your trust in Christ. Are, are you now suspect after this morning's sermon, maybe I am not in the vine. Let me just speak to you for a minute. Jesus, in the the latter verses of of our text, we have it on the screen, said, said this, the same conversation. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus was telling his disciples, something that I think he had to wait until Judas wasn't in the room to say. And that is, my love for you is is so great, my life's being laid down for you, and you are going to receive my life in you through faith. And our relationship is now such that we're friends you want to be a friend of God? The gospel is right here. The good news of Jesus is right here. Truest love expresses itself by laying down his life. And I wonder if the disciples started putting two and two together. Is he saying what I think he's saying? A true friend lays down his life. I'm now a friend to you. We're friends now. Not just master, servant. Were they saying, Jesus, are you going to lay down his life? And then, probably 10, 15, 20 minutes later, he takes the bread and he he, he breaks the bread. Now, if you are not put your trust in Jesus this morning, here's your opportunity. And what does it look like? It just means to transfer your trust, transfer your dependence from your own efforts to make life work apart from the vine to Jesus Christ, to the energy and life source of God himself flowing through Christ. Say, I believe that that's who Jesus really is. He is the true vine. And I'm putting my faith in him. I'm putting my trust in him. If you're at a place this morning that you can express that, you are in the vine. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. And guess what? Fruit will start showing up through you. It will. It will. And it'll show up to a greater degree the more you learn to depend on Christ. So for all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ... I want you to know that what you hold in your hands represents the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. That just as Jesus, if you think about it, Jesus was cut out and laid aside and went to hell so that you and I would only have to be cut back, you see. So we could be in him, so we could be in the vine. And if you believe that, this is for you this morning. Let's eat with joy and believe In the same way, he took the cup after supper and after having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant that is in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup. Go ahead and stand to your feet and we're going to have an opportunity now to respond in worship, to sing gratitude about the one who is our friend. Let's sing these words together. Because Christ went to the cross and the tomb for us, we have a friend in Jesus. And so the opportunity is we can now ask. Two different times in this passage, Jesus says, ask whatever you will in my name. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You can now converse with God openly, freely, because you're connected to the vine. if, If by faith you put your trust in Jesus. If this morning you might say, hey, I think I might have done that today for the first time. We would love to have a conversation with you just to help you, to help you grow. That's why we're here, for all of us to be growing in Christ, to be learning to follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. So just let us know if we can assist you and help you and be a part of your growth in that way. And then I just want to let you all know a few very exciting, important things happening literally in the next week that I want to make sure that you all know about. We talked about these things before, but I want to remind you before I send you out. First of all, we have two town hall meetings left. And these town hall meetings are really important because we're talking about the details of where we feel like God's been leading us for the last number of years as we look forward to the next 25. And it has a lot to do with our facilities. But it's ultimately about the mission that God has given us. So please come if you haven't been to one already. There's two left. Now you might say, well, it looks like the only two left are at Franklin Campus. You're correct. That's tonight and uh, Tuesday. It's the exact same material at both. So please come if you haven't had a chance to yet. Tonight, 6 p.m. or Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the Franklin Campus Worship Center. Second of all, next Sunday we will not be here. We're going to be fellowshipping together at Belmont University all week. services, both campuses, one place, one time, Curb Event Center. I want to encourage you a couple things on this. A, don't miss it. I don't think we've done this for almost 20 years. It may be another 20. You know, I don't know. Maybe it won't be that long, but you do not want to miss this. I'm very serious about that. Number two, get there early because you want to make sure you have a place to park, and, we, and we, there is a little security procedure. It's not anything terrible at all, but, but you want to make sure to get there early. It's going to be an incredible morning together. As we go to God, we seek God together. We also celebrate. It's going to be worship. It's going to be a praying. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to become an, a people of God on this journey together. And then the last thing is this. The day after the fellowship together at Belmont, we're going to start a 21-day text devotional. If you haven't gone through one of these with us before, man, you're, you're going to really enjoy it. You're going to love it. If you have, sign up again, re-sign up, text the word follow. Every morning you'll get a text. I think it comes at 6 a.m. It's going to take you to a devotional. We're all going to be together, doing this together through the month of September. And there's a lot of intentionality in that. By the way, if you text follow to that number, which I encourage you to do right now, by the way, If you text follow to that number and you don't get a confirmation message, then you need to do the word start and then follow. Because what that means is at some point in time, you probably hit the word stop. So you got to do start and then the word follow. So if you have trouble with that, just kind of let us know and we'll make sure to take care of that and help you with it. Okay, I want to send you out with these words. You know, our our weekly gatherings have a rhythm. We're gathered in in order to be sent out. And then we're gathered back in in order to be sent out. And I want to send us out this morning with these words from the passage. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That is our purpose, and that is Christ's promise to us. Go with that in mind. Have a great week, and we will see you at Belmont.